We return tonight to continue what is the wonderful tradition and experience of the Bible Church of Little Rock for all of its 53-year history, and that is to study the Bible and to continue our verse-by-verse study of the Word of God. And I want you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Tonight we return to Proverbs 10, a chapter we have not had the opportunity to study for quite a long time. I've been away for some ministry travel. And with our care groups meeting every other Sunday, it doesn't afford us a consecutive weekly exposition of this book of the Bible. And because of this, I want us to reread Proverbs chapter 10, where we find ourselves in verses 19 to 32. Proverbs 10, 19 to 32. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. The last time we studied this passage, we covered verses 19 to 25. And tonight we want to finish up verses 26 to 32. And if you remember, I said that verses 19 to 32, that which we just read, form a chiastic structure. The Greek letter chi or chi, as some pronounce it, forming an English and X, which would allow you in this passage to form an A-B-C-B-A kind of structure looking a lot like an X, and that's where they come up with that terminology. 
If you were to outline this passage and the way that that structure is formed, you would come up with that very thing, coming down the side of the page like that and then coming back, almost looking exactly like an X. And this is really the structure that many commentators, and I think rightly so, believe that the Hebrew people and, of course, the Greeks came up with a way to memorize and to understand what they were writing for ease of memorization and for the flow of some of these particular passages. And as this particular passage has been outlined very readily for us in the text, and as I remind you of it from what we studied last time, I mentioned to you that the A on both ends of this outline has to do with the tongue. That is, in verses 19 to 21, the Bible speaks to us here about the tongue of the righteous. The tongue of the righteous. You notice that very same thing in verses 31 and 32. So you have at the beginning of the passage, the A part of our outline, the tongue of the righteous, and you have at the bottom of our outline, the other A in this chiastic structure, the tongue of the righteous. The A and the A, the beginning of the X and the bottom of the X as you move up and down that X. And then the B's, the wealth and security of the righteous. Verses 22 to 25, which we covered last time, talk about that wealth and that security of the righteous man. And then in verses 27 to 30, we can see the way and security of the righteous. And that is very, very clearly put forward to us in this text. And then right in the middle, almost as a fulcrum, balancing this chiastic structure, is a comment in verse 26, standing all by itself about the laziness of the wicked. Now, if I were to give you maybe an easier outline to think about, it might be something like this. The A's in this outline, or the first and last sections of this chiastic structure, would be a man's words. A man's words. In verses 19 to 21, we see that, a man's words. And we see a man's words also spoken about in verses 31 and 32. And then we see a man's ways, a man's ways. In verses 22 to 25, we see Solomon talking about a man's ways. And we see that also talked about in verses 27 to 30. That's the B part of our chiastic structure. A, B, B, A. In those two B's, we see the talking of man's ways, or the talking about the ways of a man, both the righteous and the wicked. And then in the middle, in this little fulcrum, or this little balancing of this chiastic structure, we see a man's worthlessness there in verse 26. So you have in this A, B, B, A structure with a C in the middle, a man's words, both in the top and in the bottom, and then a man's ways, right there in the middle, and in the very middle, a man's worthlessness. A man's words, a man's ways, and a man's worthlessness. Very easy to think about, very easy to ponder. And last time, we began talking about a man's words. 
And we saw that very clearly in verses 19 to 21. When there are many words, verse 19 says, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. All three of those verses have to do with a man's words. And notice in verses 31 and 32, those also have to do with a man's words, the mouth and the lips. You see, this passage, contrary to what so many people think, are random proverbs. It's not so. They are tied together all the way from verses 19 to 32. This is a unit of thought. A man's words are what Solomon wants to talk about at the beginning of this section and at the end of this section. The A's in our chiastic structure. And then the B's or the middle sections, the A, B, B, A, you have in those two B sections of our outline, outline, a comment about man's ways. Look at verse 22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. All of those passages, all of those proverbs are talking about the ways of the righteous and the ways of the wicked. Talking about their path, talking about what they do, talking about their everyday life. And tonight, from verses 27 to 30, we'll talk about man's ways again. The only thing separating this middle section, of course, is that fulcrum verse, or that middle verse, verse 26. And we'll talk about that in a moment. You can see that in these Proverbs, from chapters 10 all the way through chapter 31, that there's far more continuity than I think people give them credit for. Sure, there is a lot of topic nature to these Proverbs, but there is a lot of continuity here and I think you can see that when they're outlined in these ways. Now let's begin by looking at that fulcrum verse, verse 26. That's sort of that middle verse that's, that's put right there in that middle section for us, almost like the, the, the teeter-totter in the middle so that we can balance this section of this chapter. Verse 26, it says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. And our outline of the W's of life, words, ways, and worthlessness, this is a description, this is a commentary describing man's worthlessness. Have you ever had the experience of standing around the campfire and the wind changes direction and the smoke comes your way. How would you describe having smoke in your eyes? Irritating? Painful? Hurtful? You have to rub your eyes. You start to tear up. Your eyes start to swell. It's nothing short of awful, isn't it? 
You have to rub your eyes ceaselessly to try to get all of that smoke out of your eyes. It's an amazing experience. And it comes on you suddenly. And that's the experience, no doubt, of every one of us who's been around smoke, usually at a campfire. Now, probably less of us have had the experience of tasting vinegar. How many of you have tasted vinegar? I don't know that I've tasted it often, but I think I've tasted it some. It doesn't taste good at all, does it? It doesn't taste good at all. Perhaps we would use the words bitter or sour to describe the taste of vinegar. But however we characterize it, Solomon is using this very, very picturesque language to describe by comparison the utter worthlessness of the lazy man whose employers attempt to send him to do a job and what they receive in return is something like irritation, pain, hurt, bitterness, a sour response. This person is like an aggravation because he fails to carry out his responsibilities. Just like you would have irritation if smoke gets in your eyes, or just like you would have it a sour, bitter taste if vinegar is in your mouth, so it is if you have some kind of experience with a lazy man. That's what Solomon says here in verse 26. And by the way, this may also be a stern warning to us that this is not the kind of person we want to be ourselves. It's not just warning us about someone we may hire. It certainly is that. So is the lazy one to those like us who send him But maybe it's also a commentary on us. Don't be like that. If you were to be like that, you would be to people like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Have you ever had the experience where someone who loved you very much, like maybe your wife or your mother or your caring sister or brother or someone in your family came up to you and said, Your breath is really bad. You know, it's hard to hear that, but you really love them for it, right? Because they're helpful to you. They're trying to care for you. And you immediately ask them, well, give me a mint. Help me out. Do something for me. You want that kind of help, even though it's really hard to hear. Wouldn't it be a terrible, terrible thing for someone to tell you that your actions toward them are like smoke in the eyes, like vinegar to the teeth. Well, that's what they would tell you if you were like a lazy person, a sluggard. And that's what you'd be if you were a worker and your employer was trying to send you on a job And you were not doing the job because you were a lazy, lazy person. Here's the New Living Translation and how it translates this verse. Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. It's pretty graphic. Trimper Longman writes this. Have you ever gotten smoke in your eyes? Most readers have. 
Maybe fewer have taken a gulp of vinegar and swirled it in, swirled it around their, in their mouth. But this image is asking us to reflect on that experience and compare it to sending a slugger on a mission. In essence, giving the sluggard some responsibility to represent us. These words add punch to the idea that a sluggard will let you down. And this will have repercussions for your own reputation. The effect of the proverb is both to warn the simple-minded against being sluggards and to tell the wise not to hire them. So true. Don't be one yourself and don't hire one. You're in for trouble if you do. And in fact, even in our own chapter, chapter 10, look back at verse 4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Boy, what a contrast. Verse 5, he who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. And then turn over to Proverbs chapter 23. This tells us very graphically about this sluggard, maybe the most graphically in all of the Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verse 13. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Verse 19, listen, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Verse 22, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Verse 26, give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. Look at. Chapter 25, verse 13. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest, this is so good, is a faithful messenger to those who send him. For he refreshes the soul of his masters. Boy, what a contrast. Instead of a sluggard who messes up the employers who want to send him on the message that he should be faithful to deliver. This is a faithful messenger to those who send him. For he refreshes the soul of his masters. Well, what a contrast. Rather than smoke in the eyes, rather than being an irritant, rather than being a bane to his employers, rather is a faithful messenger to those who send him. Proverbs 26, 6. He cuts off his own feet and drinks violence who sends a message by the hands of a fool. Oh, that is, that is 
Incredible. Look back at chapter 22 of Proverbs. Look at verse 13. The sluggard says, There is a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. The mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. You see, that's why in chapter 23, verse 13, he needs the rod. He needs the rod so that he will do what is right. Because foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. See, it's right there in the context of speaking about the sluggard. Don't let your life be characterized as lazy, as as a sluggard. Beware, beloved, of your own life of laziness. And beware of employing those whom you can't trust to do the job for which you send them. Incredible testimony from the pages of Holy Scripture about laziness and how we should put it far from us. How do you approach your job? How do you approach your task? How do you approach your home? How do you approach your lives? How do you approach every element of what you do, no matter what you do? Are you lazy? Are you slothful? Are you a sluggard? It's like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. It's, it's really representative, like I said in our outline point, of a, of a worthless person. It's a worthless person. They can't be depended upon. You send them out for a task and they don't follow through. You can't depend on them. They can't do anything rightly because they don't do anything with diligence. Don't be like that. Let's move on to verses 27 to 30. That forms the next section. And in our outline is called a man's ways. Just like that earlier parallel structure of verses 22 to 25, it speaks also of a man's ways, which we discussed in those Proverbs. Listen to verses 27 to 30. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. Can you see both of the ways of the righteous and the ways of the wicked? I want you to notice the parallelism here. The fear of the Lord is talked about in verse 27. The way of the Lord is talked about in verse 29. The hope of the righteous is talked about in verse 28. And the righteous never being shaken is talked about in verse 30. Do you see that parallelism? The fear of the Lord, verse 27. The way of the Lord, verse 29. The hope of the righteous, verse 28. The righteous never being shaken, verse 30. You see, there's a symmetry there. There's a parallelism. Likewise, notice the wicked. The wicked's years is said to be shortened, verse 27. His expectation perishes, according to verse 28. His ruin, according to verse 29, and he will not dwell in the land, according to verse 30. Just a perfect parallel. Notice what Solomon says. 
First, he speaks about the fear of the Lord. We've been taught about that several times already. It, it talks about the guidance of the Lord, the word of the Lord. It talks about the reverence of the Lord. All of those things are encapsulated there. And what does the fear of the Lord do? What do you do when you follow hard after the Lord, when you obey the Lord? What happens? What's the result? What is that equal? What does Solomon say there? It prolongs life. What does that mean? It's the fullness of life. The fullness of life that God intends for you. It may not mean quantity of life. This is a proverb, remember? It's not necessarily saying that God's going to extend to you another five years or ten years if you fear the Lord. It may mean that for individuals. It's just speaking axiomatically. It's just speaking and saying to us that if you fear the Lord, He's going to prolong your life. Qualitatively, no doubt. The fullness of life that God intends for you. Whatever He intends for you as an individual. You fear the Lord, He'll prolong your life. By contrast, look at the years of the wicked. What will be their portion? It'll be shortened. It'll be shortened. What kind of shortening of the wicked's life? Well, probably by the debilitating effects of sin. And maybe even judicially by God. God may very well judge them. He may very well tell them, your portion is over. Your life will be cut short. It may be that He cuts it short by their acts of sin and the consequences brought about by their acts of sin. Or He may wait until all of their sin has run its course. We spoke about it in Romans 2. They're they're storing up wrath against the day of wrath. But whatever will be their portion, just like whatever will be our portion, the years of the wicked, Solomon says, is shortened. Notice the next phrase, the hope of the righteous is gladness. Oh, I love that. The hope of the righteous is gladness. Your hope, it's your confident expectation. If you're a righteous person, you have right standing before God. And for us as New Covenant believers, we have a righteousness because of Jesus Christ. The hope that you have is a confident expectation. And what will be the result? You have gladness. Joy. Joy. What about the wicked? What's their expectation? Do they have a confident expectation? What's their belief? Perishing. Perishing. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 7. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will what? Perish. And the hope of strong men perishes. You're a wicked man, you die... What happens to your expectation? Does it, does it open up into blessing? Does your confidence usher in the glorification of the saints? No. Your belief perishes. I've often thought about that when unbelievers say, I believe your belief along with your wicked life perishes. And even the hope of strong men outside of Christ perishes. Proverbs 11:7. Oh, but what about the way of the Lord? Verse 29. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright. Oh, it's a fortress. It's a place of safety. It's a place of security. But what of the workers of iniquity? 
ruin, he says. Ruin. He's already spoken of that ruin, hasn't he? Look at verse 14 of Proverbs 10. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Ruin is at hand. The latter part of verse 15, the ruin of the poor is their poverty. Oh, don't be ruined by not walking in the way of the Lord. You see, that's why our outline point is a man's ways. Because the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright. But don't walk in the way of iniquity. Why? Because that way will be a way of ruination. You don't want that way. You don't want to walk in that way. Man's ways could not be more clearly contrasted. And I have to ask, which ways characterize you? What are your ways as you examine your own life? Which of these very black and white proverbial ways characterize you? Are you walking in the fear of the Lord, which prolongs life? Or are your years being shortened because of your wickedness? Do you have the confident expectation because you stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Is there gladness and joy of heart? But is the ultimate expectation going to be a perishing because of your wickedness? Are you standing, walking, following, obeying in the way of the Lord? If you are, there's a stronghold, there's a security, there's a, there's a place of safety to the upright. But to the workers of iniquity, those who practice lawlessness, those who look at their lives as evil doing, there is nothing but ruination. And notice he says in verse 30, the righteous will never be shaken. Oh, what a promise. What a promise. As contrasted to the wicked who will not dwell in the land. Oh, the wicked will not only be shaken, but also will be removed from the land. You see that there? The wicked will not only be shaken... As contrasted the righteous who will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The land to a Hebrew, the land was a, was a place of blessing. It was a, it was a sign of God's covenant promises. It was, a, it was a, a belief that God was blessing because it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a, a way that they could see that God was there with them, blessing them, honoring them. And when they were not right with each other and when they were murdering, when they were not dealing with each other faithfully but dealing with each other treacherously, even the Bible would say something like, and isn't your brother's blood calling to you from the land, from the earth? Speaking graphically of the idea that your, your brother's blood is calling to you from under the earth. Why? The land is being polluted 
And the wicked would kill one another and murder one another. And the land would belch up, as it were, the remains of such a one. Why? Even the land was being polluted by the sinfulness of human beings. And the wicked would do this over and over and over again. And God would ultimately say, the wicked, they'll not even dwell in the land. We have to ask ourselves with these clear, contrastive questions, where am I? Where am I? Do I have the fear and the hope and the way and the righteousness of God? Or do I have the the wickedness and the perishing and the ruination and the belching out of the land of all of my hopelessness and wickedness. This is clear. Clear for us to ask. Clear for every human heart to ask. And remember, Solomon is asking this of his own son or sons. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. He's warning. He's warning. He, he writes these proverbs as much a warning as anything. He's pleading, warning, crying out, exhorting, admonishing. Clear contrast, black and white language, not hard to understand. He's asking about his own son's ways. What about your ways? Which road are you on, son? And if you're a faithful father, you ask that question regularly. When you see your son veering off the path, when you see your daughter veering off the path, you must ask that question. I've asked that question of my children. You ask that question of your children if you're faithful. What path are you on, son? Which which path are you on? Do you fear the Lord? Do you have the hope of the righteous? Are you walking in the way of the Lord? If you're righteous, you won't be shaken. If, however, you have wickedness in your life, your life's going to be shortened. If you do wickedness, you'll perish. If you do iniquity, you'll come to ruin. You'll not dwell in the land, the land of plenty, if you do evil deeds. This is, this is a set of Proverbs to be memorized. This chiastic structure, this is easy to memorize, not just for Hebrew children, but for us as well. And then Solomon comes to the last of this great chapter. And he says, just as he did at the beginning of this section of verses 19 to 21, a man's words, a man's words. We see a relationship tying right back to verses 19 to 21, a man's words. Listen to verses 31 to 32. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. Solomon says that the mouth of the righteous literally bears the fruit of wisdom. 
Oh, that's so good. Bears the fruit of wisdom. Look at chapter 12, verse 14. This is fantastic. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words. Look at chapter 13, verse 2. From the fruit of a man's mouth, he enjoys good. From the fruit of a man's mouth, he enjoys good. Chapter 18, verse 20. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Notice how it depicts the idea of our speech as though it were food satisfying us. Maybe that's where we come up with the idea that sometimes when we say things we shouldn't, we have to what? Eat our words. And we have to eat our words and it doesn't go down well, does it? It's like a bad meal. All of us have done it. You've said things you shouldn't. You say inappropriate things. You say things you know are hurtful, wrong, injurious. It's like a bad meal. But oh, when you say things that you know you should say, like the Proverbs say, speaking a word in right circumstances, and it hits the mark, it does what it's supposed to do, it accomplishes what God wants, oh, it's so satisfying. It does what God accomplishes for it to do, and it is the fruit of a good word in your mouth. Contrast that. With the wicked. Verse 31. But the perverted tongue will be cut out. That is graphic. That is incredibly graphic. And you know what? In the ancient Near East, that was one of the punishments for some crimes related to the tongue. They would literally... Cut your tongue out of your mouth. And in some cases, they might even do it still today. You know, this has been brought home to me several times this summer. As my children have been invited to attend many movies, for which we've logged onto the website like screenit.com, where you have particular movies that you want to view, to to preview in order to ascertain whether the movie is suitable to watch. And this particular website does an excellent job of giving an array of ways for which you can see whether or not a movie is appropriate. And it is amazing to me that sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, we, we saw this movie and it's fine, it doesn't have anything wrong with it. And you go on this Screenit.com, and it'll have categories, violence, words, sexual, nudity, etc., etc. And under this category, it'll give you first 
a little catalog, and then it gives you an actual list of all of the things that are listed point by point, including the words used. And often someone will say, I saw it, it doesn't, doesn't have anything wrong with it, it's, it's a perfectly fine movie, and I'll go on to this particular website, and it'll say, 33 references with swear words, salacious comments, etc., etc., and it lists every one of the words that are used in the movie. And usually it'll have the first or second letters of the words with all of the rest of them blipped out so that you don't see the entire word, which you don't need to see, but you obviously can figure it out if you're an adult. 33 references to this and that, 14 references to God's name in vain, 89 references to this, 14 references to that, 6 references to this. And I asked myself the question, who would want to go see that with these words prominently thrown out at you with 18 feet high people? On a screen, feet from you. When the Bible says here, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. If they did that to these actors, there would be no more movies. And maybe that wouldn't be such a bad idea. This is exactly, beloved, exactly what Solomon is speaking of here and the perverted tongue. It will be cut off, cut out. Look at verse 11 of Proverbs 10. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 13. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Verse 18. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. And notice he goes on to say in verse 32, The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, that is acceptable to God, But the mouth of the wicked, what is perverted, changing everything that's acceptable and making it unacceptable, everything that is godly and making it ungodly. Like Paul says, making everything evil, good and good, evil, turning everything upside down. So whether it's a movie, whether it's a television program, whether it's the radio, it's All around us. I mean, it's enough for all of us, myself included, just to walk down the street. Just to drive a car. 
than to go places by our own initiative, by our own choices, and to be assaulted by all of the words that are put in your minds and will never leave your mind. Never again. I have enough time trying to get out the words that are already there than putting more words in. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. What kind of speech is reflected in your lips, on your lips? What kind of ways are reflected in your life? What kind of responsible behavior is reflected in your work? These are the three things we've spoken of tonight. How do you respond to these three things? Maybe as we close, let's turn to Luke. Luke chapter 6, and we'll find out what Jesus himself might reveal to us about these things. Luke chapter 6, as we close, verse 39. Luke 6, 39. If you're here tonight and you've struggled with any of these things, join the club. We all struggle with these things. We're just trying to ask the question proverbially, how does God want us to live? And Solomon tells us exactly how. The Word of God is so clear. Luke 6, 39. And he also spoke a parable, did Jesus, to them. A blind man, he says, cannot guide a blind man, can he? It's pretty logical. Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. What's the point? The point is this. Jesus, far greater than Solomon, even though Solomon had the greatest wisdom of of any human being, Jesus being the God-man, speaks truth and says, here's the contrast, the way of the wicked, the way of the righteous. Here's the way of the righteous, verse 45. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. Here's the evil man, here's the wicked man, He out of the evil treasure, verse 45, brings forth what is evil. That's consistent with their nature. That's consistent with what they do. That's consistent with what they will produce. 
For he says in verse 43, there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. You don't have a good tree that produces bad fruit. Nor on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. If you have a righteous man, he'll produce righteous deeds. If you have an evil man, he'll produce evil deeds. Whatever's in the heart will be produced in the life. Righteous man, righteous ways. Evil man, evil ways. Evil man, worthless. Righteous man, righteous deeds. Righteous mouth. Evil man, evil mouth. Here's his point. Wrapping up all three of our ideas. Each tree is known by its own fruit. The good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. An application of this is that he will not be a sluggard so as to disappoint himself nor his employer. If you're a good man, you'll produce a good wage. You'll work hard. You'll be diligent. You'll be a good man and you'll produce a good wage. You'll produce good fruit. Everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's what Jesus said. Your way, your training, when you've been trained as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you'll be like Christ. You'll be following His way. And you'll not be like the way of the world. And notice the very last phrase in verse 45. For His mouth speaks from that which fills His heart. Your speech is reflected out of the overflow of the heart. You see, it's all, it's all there. If you are following the fear of the Lord, the hope of the righteous, the way of the Lord, the righteous will produce good fruit. If you're a wicked person, a worthless person, a lazy person, a sluggard, you'll produce bad fruit. And the good man out of the good treasure will bring forth what is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure will bring forth what is evil. <clears throat> and ultimately, it will all be manifested in how you speak. Because out of the mouth of a good man will speak forth what is good, and out of the mouth of an evil man will speak forth what is evil. The choice shall be ours. And by God's enablement, through the power of His Holy Spirit, we will be those righteous trees speaking and doing righteous deeds, producing righteous fruit to His glory. Let's pray. Father, we are bound to submit to Your Word. Oh, it may be that one day we will submit to it in chains. We will submit to it because of the power of Your Lordship. Because we have failed to submit to it in this life. 
We will kick against you and do evil deeds and produce evil fruit, speak evil words, be around evil people and produce evil fruit. But we will one day submit even unwillingly because you are Lord. For even here in Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone will do what you say one day. Lord, how much better would it be for us to submit to you now and to your Lordship and to have that kind of joy, that gladness that Solomon speaks of the hope of the righteous, the confident expectation, this gladness, this joy of knowing that we can walk in Your ways and produce righteous fruit, to speak righteous words, to shed this perversion of evil that is all around us. To say no to the allurements of the world. Lord, that's the truest desire of the regenerate heart. And I pray that we who sit here tonight are the ones who are truly desiring that kind of life and lifestyle. May it be true of us, Lord. Because that gives you great praise. We ask that you would bring this about because of the power of your spirit. And the truth of your word. Thank you for this study. Thank you for what it does in my own heart. And in the hearts of your people. And may it bring great honor to your name. For we pray through Jesus' sake. Amen.